Tappers, what's up? It is the Friday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you guys are doing well. I'm sure you are after the Bucks win. Maybe a little hungover like your boy. Um, if not, I don't. Bl- I'm, you're a better, better person than I am. Better man, better woman. We're going to talk Bucks and Nets. Kind of recap that. Ask if you feel any better about the Bucks' chances against Brooklyn after game number three. We will talk about why Aaron Rodgers might have saw the writing on the wall with Jordan Love, and that's why he's trying to make sure that he's there for longer than this year. So we'll get into that. We'll also talk about the college football playoff expansion and how that could really help the Wisconsin Badgers going forward. So we have all of that. Um, really good show. Probably maybe a little Brewers too. Brewers had a good has had a good week as well, so we'll talk maybe a little bit about that at the tail end. Obviously, losing Travis Shaw was no good uh, for for the Brewers, but we're not here to talk about that Milwaukee team. We are here to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Milwaukee Bucks got it done against the Brooklyn Nets. Originally, it looked like this game was going to be a blowout. Yet again, we are going to have another blowout in this series. Bucks were up 30 to 11, 30 to 11 in the after the first quarter, and it seemed like it was all right. This is going to be a cakewalk. Well, then it really slowed down in the second second quarter, and Brooklyn battled back, and Brooklyn outscored the Bucks by 15, 16 points, and it was 31 to 15, and so it was nearly tied at halftime. Uh, the Bucks had a 45 to 41 lead. This was an ugly basketball game. This was a basketball game from like the mid 2000s, that Spurs Pistons era. Like this is that kind of basketball game. This was not pretty. A lot of ugly numbers from both teams, um, but the Bucks found a way to win. And that's, I guess, all you can ask for, right? A win is a win is a win. But there are some warning signs for this Milwaukee team. But we we are a positive first podcast. So let's talk about the positives and then we will talk about some of the negatives that are still there. From a positive side point, I think the fact that Chris Middleton showed up in this game was huge. I think Chris Middleton having 35 points and 15 rebounds was all that I needed. I, I don't maybe didn't even need 35 and 15 from Chris. Like that is a lot. He also was three of six from three. He he did miss a few shots here and there, but no one else really wanted to shoot the ball. And we'll get to that in a little bit later. He played 44 minutes like they rode their guys tonight. Uh, Mike Budenholzer got criticized for that in game one. And the guys were ridden tonight. Giannis played 43 minutes. Middleton played 44. Holiday played 46. So you had a lot from Chris Middleton. And Chris Middleton kind of heard the haters, heard all the noise about his struggles in the postseason. And some people think he's the East Coast Paul George or whatever. And Middleton had a massive game in this one. And he was a key catalyst to why the Bucks won. And found shots time and time again. And he hit some clutch shots down the stretch when basically he was going blow for blow with Kevin Durant. And that's not easy to do because Kevin Durant is one of the best late game guys that we have in this the NBA. And he might be in history. Like Durant is terrifying. This was the first time I had to think about Kevin Durant like in the final minutes of a game. And I was so scared. I was so scared of Kevin Durant. Like I was like, oh my God, this is going to end very poorly. And thankfully it didn't. Um, and the, the Bucks were able to to pull it out there. But yeah, Middleton went, went shot for shot with Durant. There was sometimes a little too much isolation, but I don't know if I blame Chris, right? If you look at the other guys who didn't really contribute here, 
I think Chris just knew he had to put the team on his back, and that and that's kind of what he did. And it was a really good game for Chris Middleton, and you just got to keep it up. You just have to keep this same energy. I hope that with the extra day off, that'll give him a nice little rest there. He's a couple days at home, kind of recuperate, get himself get himself going, and then on Sunday, try to force that game five as a two-two series tie. As for Giannis Antetokounmpo. It was an uneven game for Giannis. I mean, he had 33 and 14, um, but he missed five free throws. He missed seven threes. So there was a lot of meat that was left on the bone. Giannis could have had a massive day. Say he hits three more threes, that is 42 points. Say he adds in uh, three more free throws, that's 45 points. I mean, that's a fucking huge game. And the Bucs would have won going away. It would not have been a close, close game with Brooklyn if Giannis was hitting those shots. And Giannis kind of defended it, and I wrote about that on SnowTapWI, and I get where he's coming from, but at the same time, it's like, how can your instincts tell you to keep shooting this basketball? Like, I know the Bucks have given him full autonomy to shoot, but it does seem like it's detrimental to the team. It seems like it's a last resort thing instead of forcing action. Like, I would like to see Giannis do a lot more of driving to the lane or you know, moving in a little bit and then start starting to create some action with his team. And he just doesn't do that. And those threes just, I don't, I don't want to say they're lazy, but it's just like, it's a, such a settling shot for Giannis. It's the, it, I get it. If you're hot, if you're feeling it and you're like, all right, I, I want to check kind of heat check stuff. Giannis should definitely use the three as a heat check. If he's rolling, like say that that first quarter is a great example. He was, you know, he bunch of dunks. He had 11 quick points. Like that's a time where it's like, all right, let's let's try a three. That those are the times where it's like, I, I think Giannis should be shooting, and, and definitely like, why not see if you're hot? But the times where it's like, all right, nothing's going on. It's kind of this clogged offense approach. It doesn't necessarily work. It doesn't necessarily work for the Bucks. And I know that, and I think this was a little different of an offense for the Bucks than they're used to. So we talked on, was that Monday after the game game one loss about how the Bucks had sort of played too fast in game one. And they played really fast and they wanted to match pace with Brooklyn. You know, the Bucks are one of the more up-tempo teams in the league and they wanted to sort of match pace with Brooklyn. Are, are any, does anyone think that maybe the Bucks slowed it down purposely? And they, they wanted to make this thing ugly tonight. That to throw the nets off, they wanted to play more in the half court. Even though the Bucks don't have that great of a half court offense, they do a lot of work in transition. That they'll figure it out with their guys. And Holiday had an off night. He had Bledsoe disease. I don't expect that again from Holiday. And that that's probably one, another positive for Sunday. Is like you can't expect uh, Holiday to miss ten shots or Brooke Lopez even to miss. To miss, you know, six, but Brooke shot way too many threes as well. But the, but to to get back to what the Bucks are trying to do, I think that was the biggest adjustment that Mike Budenholzer made was slowing this thing down, turning it into a defensive matchup, and knowing that the Bucks have a good defense. I mean, they are second in defensive rating for the playoffs. That's at, at 103. So they they do play good defense. 
And so they basically slowed down Brooklyn to say, all right, we're not going to let you get out in transition. We're going to use up the shot clock. We're going to steal some possessions and we're going to kind of frustrate you in there because that's not how we've been playing basketball for really the last few years, right? Everything's been run and gun. Everything's been up tempo. Everything's been threes really since the Warriors, you know, hit their ascent. And so that is really interesting that maybe, and I, and they, you'd have to, I'd have to actually like rewatch it and see like how much shot clock the Bucks are using. But it seems like the Bucks are doing a little bit more of that. So if they are going to get more in the half court and they are going to slow it down, what they are going to need to do is they're going to need to have more motion. They're going to need to move way more often because there was way too much isolation for Milwaukee. There was way too much of the standing around and hoping Giannis, Chris, or Drew would do something. They need to just keep moving without the basketball. They need that needs to happen. And if that doesn't happen, you're going to lose some games. Okay, like I, I, as great as this was, as great as it was to beat Brooklyn, and after two just embarrassing games, I would say more one. But the second, the first one was kind of embarrassing in its own right because. You, you had a great first quarter, you fell back in the second, and then in the third, you just crumbled. And it seemed like everything was going wrong. So I wouldn't say it was as embarrassing as game two, but you definitely had this fear that Brooklyn was just so much better than, than you. And you hold this one of the best offenses of the last, I don't know, five or six years to 83 points. Kevin Durant had, I think, 30 of them, right? Yeah, Durant had 30 at a huge second half, but you know Kyrie 22, Bruce Brown had a huge game, um, but that was it. And and the role players did not show up. And we've seen this before with the Bucks specifically, where role players come to play at home and they don't come to play on the road, and they and they struggle. And we saw that here in this game. Now speaking of role players, the Bucks really didn't have their role players going as well. Um, they need more from their bench. Their bench had a grand total of six points. Now, granted, their bench didn't play a ton of minutes. So their bench only played uh, 25, 40 minutes between, and they played a short bench. They really, really only played eight guys. They had Thanasis in at the end of the third quarter, which was great. And I'll, I'll say this. I don't have any problem with Thanasis at end of quarters for the Bucks, especially at home. I mean, I think it's a great surge of energy. And if Thanasis is, you know, makes a play defensively or a hard foul or gets into a guy's grill, like, I just think there is a thing with Thanasis that he could actually really, I don't know if he could flip a series, I'm not saying that, but I do think he could flip a game or just at least change a little momentum in the final minute of a quarter. I, I really think they should use him that way. I don't. They do, they did it in the third quarter. I'll be really interesting to see if that trend continues in quarter one at the end of quarter one uh, on Sunday. But the Bucks do need more from their other bench guys. Credit to the Nets. They've done a great job on Bryn Forbes. Bryn Forbes has sort of faded into non-existent after a great series against Miami. Every one of Bryn Forbes' shots were a fadeaway three. It was bad. 
Um, Britton just needs to find some more opportunities. He needs to hang out in the corner and just needs to keep moving and find those open opportunities. He can also drive. Like Brent Forbes has a little bit of a floater game. He has a little bit of a, a rack game. Forbes can do that shit. He should. So let's hope that that happens. I I love the minutes from Bobby Portis. You know, he had four and six. I, he did enough there for me. Um, but again, it's still it's still a it, you need at least a little bit of support somewhere. So if you're not gave her the bench, you hope to get it from a guy like Tucker or Holiday. Um, you know, PJ Tucker was plus ten PER. He missed three shots. But he had he played pretty good defense against Kevin Durant, and I know I said on Twitter I was I wanted Giannis on Durant, and my buddy's like, look, he's playing great. Like, what do you want? And I, and I was like, look, man, I was emotional tweeting. Like, just let me go. Like, it's okay. I thought Tucker did well on Durant, and so yeah, you you need a little bit more from somebody else. You cannot expect Giannis and Chris. To score eighty percent of the points again on game four and win that game, you're going to need some of the others. And if you're going to muck it up like you did in game three and slow it down and really play a different brand of basketball to try to throw off Brooklyn, you got to make some more shots and you got to you got to move a little bit more. So I don't know. That to me is the stuff that the Bucks should be talking about today, tomorrow, heading into game number four. And it's not impossible that the Bucks can can win game four i know there are some that might think well they didn't make a ton of adjustments they shot terribly they're lucky to win this game game four is is a wrap for brooklyn first of all that's a terrible way to fan like you know i I get it right i get wanting to be a little pessimistic i i understand that but at the same time can't we admit that the bucks defense was great in this game that the bucks allowed only 83 points like that that is at least something, right? That to me is at least a nugget. And maybe, yeah, the Bucks couldn't shoot the ball to save their souls, but perhaps the Bucks got the confidence they need to know we can beat these guys. And we talked about the fragility of the mental state of Milwaukee and how it needs to kind of be worked on, the team, not the city. Although the city sometimes can be mentally fragile as well. And I think, hopefully, that they are they are starting to to know they can do this. And if they beat Brooklyn in game four, then it's a three-game series. Then it becomes a three-game series. And if you can try to maybe get the game on, on Tuesday, then you can clinch at home on, on Thursday. That's that's there for you. That There is a real chance. There is a real opportunity. So it's up to Milwaukee to make it happen. I, I believe in them. I think, I think they can do it. I, I know Brooklyn's scary. I, every time they, they go down the floor, I... I wonder if Durant or Kyrie is going to get hot and then it's curtains. It's a scary fucking team. No question about it. But I I do believe in this Bucks team. I think they can. I think the, the muck it up old school, not old school, but early 2000s basketball is how the Bucks are going to try to win this series. And we'll see if they can get it done again on Sunday. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers. So minicamp, I believe, has ended. Uh, the Bucks or the Packers are done with minicamp, and they now wait, I believe, until training camp. There might be some other stuff before that. Uh, some of the Packers came to Fiserv to go check out the game. You had Zadarius Smith, Aaron Jones, Kenny Clark, all in attendance. 
uh, for the Bucks game, which was awesome. And Zadarius and Aaron Jones were super into the game. They were like, felt like they were just as much Bucks players as they were fans. Um, so they were getting really hyped for it. They, they're one of the few guys who, oh, I, I don't think, Zadarius might be over 30. Aaron isn't. But that look good in jerseys, right? Uh, Zadarius with all the muscles. I think you, he can always wear a jersey um, without any sleeves underneath. Like that's always going to work for him. I also think the Zadarius Smith 55 jersey, basketball jersey, would be a nice collector's item if he ever wanted to sell it. Um, just trying to get my guy Retro Daddy some money. That's really all I'm really all I'm doing. Um, but anyways, <laughs> the Packers. Uh, had Jordan Love for this whole mini camp because Aaron Rodgers is holding out, and Jordan Love looked pretty good. And yeah, it's practice. Yeah, it's it's sort of just you know playing the Packer players. And Jordan Love threw a pick against Eric Stokes, uh, which is kind of a good thing too, right? Uh, yesterday, but he's looked good, and he he looks like why the Packers drafted him in the first round, and he looks like a first round talent. And looks like there are some windows of excitement there for the young quarterback. And in a lot of ways, I think this is why Aaron Rodgers didn't want to be a lame duck. Because what they say, um, coaches, players, I, I remember Trent, I think it was Trent Dilfer on Ryan Rossillo's podcast, said like, you know immediately if a guy's good or not. Like, you'll know right away. So like, you'll be in the first training camp and you'll watch somebody and you'll be like, yeah, this guy's going to be good. Or you're like, wow, this guy's going to suck. And you just know. And Aaron Rodgers, being a very cerebral, very smart guy, probably looked at Jordan Love last year and said, fuck, this guy's going to be good. This guy's going to be really good. And I am going to be a lame duck. And I see the future. And I know that this is not going to end well for me. I I would say end well, but it's like I'm not going to write my final chapter. The Packers are going to write my final chapter and probably try to trade me after next year. And so here we are with the holdout. And when James Jones mentioned how things are fixable, I wrote, and I I believe this, that it's all about the lame duck. And Rodgers doesn't want to be a lame duck. And I think he's seen so many of his friends, the Jordy Nelson, Julius Peppers, Randall Cobb, and others be lame ducks, where they were in there last year and the Packers made no effort to say, all right, we want to bring you back. And now Aaron Rodgers isn't even in his last year, which is weird, right? It's nutty, but it's a quarterback, so it's a little different. And he knows that every his contract changes after next year. And I guarantee you, Russ Ball, being the wizard that he is with spreadsheets, he did it exactly that way so that when Aaron Rodgers got a little older, they could then explore maybe trading him, and then there you had the Jordan Love pick. And it all sort of makes sense if you cascade it down. And that's probably why Brian Gunacus didn't talk to Aaron Rodgers about trading Jordan or uh, drafting Jordan Love, because he's like, "Look, I, this is what I'm going to do, and this is kind of how we're going to keep the Packers forward." Now that said, I don't think any of us expected Aaron Rodgers to win an MVP. Aaron Rodgers was pretty bad in 2017. He got hurt in 2017. He was bad in 2018. 2019. I I, I think you didn't know what you had with Rodgers anymore. I think it was kind of this unknown almost a little bit like Ben Roethlisberger, where it just didn't, not everything seemed to be connecting. And then everything did in 2020, and Rodgers was fucking incredible. And one of the best players, well, was the best player, won the MVP. <laughs> like, so now it's like, where where are we? 
and Rodgers looks at Jordan Love and knows Jordan Love's going to be good and knows the Packers probably would rather just start with Jordan Love next year and usher in the new era of Packer football and go from Favre or Star, Favre, Rodgers, Love. And that's what they want to do. But Rodgers is like, ah, slow down. Not so fast. I just want to be here. I want to ride out. After 40, if you guys want to draft a quarterback, if you guys want, even if you want to draft a quarterback next year, and at 40, I will give you guys autonomy to do whatever the hell you want to do. I would love more money, but after 40, you guys have all the decisions in the world. And I'll be honest, if I get hurt again, maybe I'll think about retiring. And I don't know if I don't know if any of this is true, right? This is me just speculating. But it's clear that Rodgers is sort of scared of Jordan Love. And and it's not like scared like, oh, this guy's better than me sort of scared. It's scared that, yeah, he has talent and he can easily replace me. And I'm, I can't like that. That's there. And and I'm sure that's what Rogers faced with. And so it makes sense. These guys have a good relationship and I don't think Rogers holds a grudge towards him. I think what he holds a grudge to is he isn't getting to write that final chapter of the book about the Packers. And they do say it's fixable, but I just, I don't know what that means. So if they tell Aaron, like they give him the assurance and they restructure his contract. So it's not a lame duck season next year. Well, then what does that mean for Jordan Love? Do you hope Jordan Love balls out in preseason and someone trades for Jordan Love? And then do we as Packer fans, which would be the which would be the ultimate irony, go like, oh, we should never trade a Jordan Love in five or six years when he's tearing it up with Miami or something? Because that is on the table. I just want everyone to know, like, if we go to like the... We take Aaron Rodgers' contract, we guarantee that he's going to be here to like 40... And then if Jordan Love balls the fuck out somewhere else, I think everybody needs to make a promise to themselves that they are not going to be critical of the Green Bay Packers because there's no way you can be. We see this so often in politics, right? Where someone's wrong about a story um, and then months later they're like, well, you know, not not really. Like we, we didn't necessarily have it entirely, but this is kind of where we are. And they kind of try to memory hole you. Packer fans cannot memory hold this. If you're on the side of we want Aaron Rodgers back, and look, I I do too. I want Aaron Rodgers back. Although I will admit, like this Jordan Love shit's kind of exciting. Like I'm not gonna lie to you, it's kind of exciting to have a young quarterback. It's kind of exciting to think about what his future might be. Is there a lot more risk there? Fuck yeah, there is. <laughs> of course, we don't know. He's not ever played an actual game. But I can kind of see it now. And I can see why the Packers would do this. And I can see why Aaron Rodgers is so sort of scared of what's to come. It all makes sense to me now. It all sort of clicked. But we can't go and just say, if you want him back, you have to then be like, all right, if Jordan Love's great somewhere else, I can't blame the organization. If we don't win a Super Bowl, like that's the combination of it, right? If Packers don't win a Super Bowl in the next three years with Aaron Rodgers, plus Jordan Love is awesome for whatever team he gets traded to, let's just say Miami, that equals disaster. That is that is the equation for disaster. 
now the equation for eh, all right is Packers win a Super Bowl plus Jordan Love is great and it's like well they won another Super Bowl so we're fine and Aaron got one he got another one and that's all that matters and if Jordan Love they win a Super Bowl and Jordan Love is terrible somewhere then it's like the greatest thing it's like I told you so and all of this bullshit and then the last one is what would be the last one not winning a Super Bowl but Jordan Love is bad then I still think people are like well at least Rodgers got to kind of ride it out and Jordan Love wasn't this phenom that the Packers gave up on so there are ways where it could be a disaster but there are a lot of ways where I think people are going to be okay with Aaron Rodgers staying but it's again it's hard not to get a little excited about Jordan Love and the future and just that it's a different feel man it's a different feel than always cheering for the cerebral assassin that is Aaron Rodgers. And it, it's, look, I'm never going to like say I don't want to cheer for Aaron Rodgers because I do. It's just a different, it's a different vibe. It's a different vibe. It's a different feeling that happens every now and again in the, in the world of sports. Wrapping up the show today with the college football playoff potential expansion. The college football uh, playoff is talking potentially about going to a 12-team format when they meet next week. Um, the proposal at this point says the bracket, it would be a bracket to include the six highest ranked conference champions and the six highest ranked other teams determined by the CFP selection committee. There would be no limit of participations from a conference and no league would qualify automatically. This is very exciting. This is very exciting that this is on the table. After college football had said, no, nah, we're probably not going to expand. We're okay with being at four teams. Now they're looking at 12 teams. Now they're looking at a bracket. Now it's looking like they're going to have a pseudo March Madness feel to college football. And that is extremely exciting. And on top of that, I think the Wisconsin Badgers need to be excited about this, right? Like this to me seems like a ample opportunity to get the Wisconsin Badgers into playoff, potential playoffs. Really will help with recruiting. Like this will open the door for recruiting. This will open the door for Wisconsin to establish themselves as one of the best Big Ten teams. Now, I think Wisconsin's already kind of there, but I think sometimes nationally they don't get the same love that an Ohio State or Michigan gets. Ohio State, I mean, one of the premier programs. They are, to me, a blue blood of college football. It's them, Alabama, LSU, Georgia, I would say maybe. Notre Dame also potentially in the mix there. But the fact is, is like the Badgers don't get a ton of love. But they will get into these playoff brackets. There will be those opportunities. And last year, or 2019, they would have hosted Florida uh, and the winner would have played LSU in the Sugar Bowl. So the Badgers would have played Florida in a game that would decide who plays LSU in the Sugar Bowl. So the Badgers would have got that opportunity. Now that LSU team, remember, was the Joe Burrow team that beat up everybody. But still, Wisconsin would get a shot. Wisconsin would get a real shot at potentially breaking through and potentially being the national champion. For others that were curious of different games, the Penn State, Penn State would play at Baylor, and the winner of that would have played Ohio State in the Rose Bowl. Utah at Oregon, so a Pac-12 matchup, the winner to play Clemson, and then Memphis at Georgia, and the winner to play Oklahoma. 
So you that was and that would those are all good games. And then last year would have been really kind of bizarre because you had Coastal Carolina at Notre Dame to play Oklahoma, Indiana at Texas A&M to play Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, uh, Iowa State at Florida, uh, the winner to play Clemson, and then Georgia at Cincinnati and the winner to play Alabama. So that I mean, those are <laughs> those games are not at, do not move the needle as much, but I think we all know the pandemic was a weird year altogether. There's going to be some great games, and there's ample opportunity for Wisconsin. I think every Badger fan should love this idea of a 12-team playoff and love that there's going to be more of a chance for Wisconsin to kind of make an impact and make a dent on college football and potentially become a national champion. Now, it may, and there are going to be a lot, some critics of this will say, well, at the end of the day, it's going to end up being Alabama at the end if they're the best team or Clemson if they're the best team. It could be. But guess what? Football is a sport any given Sunday, right? Just like the NCAA tournament. We don't always get the best team that wins the the final. And I know that bothers some purists. Fine. But look, I think that just adds an element of excitement. It's not just a guarantee. We're not just going to go into the football season and say, whoever are the top ranked teams, that's what it's going to be at the end of the year. The fact of the matter is, is more times than not, if the teams are in the top five to start the year, three or four of them are playing in the in the playoff or it's close to that. It, there isn't a lot of movement. And, or there might be a little movement early, and then but by the end of the, the day, the cream rises to the top. The best players went out. So I'm okay with this. I'm totally okay with it. I think it's really beneficial for Wisconsin. I think they're going to find themselves in it more often than not. And, and I think then the goal will be, how do we avoid the first round? And how do we get ourselves into the Rose Bowl or the Sugar Bowl or something like that versus having to play one of these intro games? So yeah, the, the opportunity could be endless for Wisconsin. And they're going to, they may find themselves in here and could add a little more pain to Badger fans, but also could add a lot more excitement. That does it for our show today. We didn't really get on the Brewers. Good week, though, for them. They take care of the Cincinnati Reds. They win two out of three. Now they play the pesky Pirates at home. The Pirates are never, never fun to deal with. Um, but Pirates aren't really playing that well in their own right. They've lost four straight. So maybe this is a good time to be playing Pittsburgh. Uh, you do Travis Shaw out with an injury. So the Brewers are kind of shorthanded in their offense now. You've now are out Lorenzo Kane, Travis Shaw, and... Um, Colton Wong, uh, that, that's a lot. It's a lot to deal with. So the Brewers are going to have to have a lot of good pitching, and they're just going to have, have a lot of timely hitting. They had it on Thursday afternoon uh, with a couple big innings and some big knocks from Vogelbach and Willie Adamas, um, and they're going to just kind of need to keep that up. Chase Peterson also had a couple moments. Like I don't know if you can always expect that out of Chase Peterson, but wait, man, whatever works, whatever gets it done, uh, hopefully – that will happen, and hopefully it'll be a good weekend for the crew uh, here at American Family Field. All right, that does it. We'll be back Sunday. I don't know if Mitch and I are going to do a Sunday reaction pod um, Sunday evening. If not, it'll be just me. Um, but that is prop maybe on the table, um, it, especially if Mitch is going to be down here in Milwaukee. I'll see if maybe he wants to get on after the game. So we'll uh, we'll put that as TBD, but you'll hear from someone uh, on Monday talking about Bucks nets recapping the Brewers weekend and anything else that comes about uh, in the Wisconsin sports world. All right, take care, Tappers. Have a great Friday and a better weekend. See you. Bye.